Well, I'm glad that you're here tonight. We're going into the book of Jonah. We're looking at Jonah chapter 3 tonight. Uh, only one more lesson through this series in the God of Second Chances. Uh, Jonah chapter 3, tell me how we find the book of Jonah. If we're not sure where it is, what's one way we can find it? Matthew and hang a left. How many books? All right. Jonah, I think it's eight books. Let somebody verify that for me. I believe it's eight books over. Uh, but they're short books, seven or eight, somewhere along in there. Jonah chapter 3. Uh, Jonah's right after Obadiah, right before Micah. Tonight I want to talk to you about radical repentance. Radical repentance. You know, when you're laying in vomit, what you do next is very important. Just want to see if I can get your attention. I'll say it one more time. When you're laying in vomit, what you do next is very important. Chapter 2 of Jonah ends with these words. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now there's no way to make that look good or smell good if you think about it. The fish vomited Jonah up onto the ground. And in my imagination, I had to think about, now what was that like? To be laying there in fish vomit. Jonah found out very quickly that there is a penalty to be paid for disobedience. When we knowingly ignore what God says, we will one day face God's penalty for that disobedience. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, my parents had a standard that they expected me to live by. And I could choose to disobey that standard, but I could not choose the consequences of my disobedience. Can I get a witness? You know what we're talking about, right? You can choose to disobey mom and dad, but you can't choose the consequences sometimes. You can choose to disobey God but you can't choose the consequences. Jonah found out the hard way that, listen to this now, listen carefully, found out the hard way that love and judgment, God's love and God's judgment are not opposites, they're part of the same thing. So he lay there in fish vomit, and then Jonah heard something he had not heard in a while. God's voice. As he lay there, in the fish vomit, he heard God's voice. Jonah had turned his back on God's word so that the Lord had been forced to speak to him through the thunder. And God was forced to speak to him through the rain and the stormy sea and the darkness of a fish's belly. But now Jonah had turned back to God in surrender and he was ready to hear God's voice again. And the Bible says, and God spoke a second time. Let me tell you the story before we read it. I just want you to relax. I don't want you to write down anything. I don't want you to look at your Bible or your notes. I just want you to listen to the story. And then we'll read the story. As Jonah lay on the seashore, he heard the voice of God again. He had not heard it for a while. But he finally heard the voice of God a second time. And God spoke very clearly that second time when he said, Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and, the, and deliver the message of judgment that I'm going to give you. And this time, rather than what he did last time, this time he got up and he obeyed the voice of the Lord. 
and he went to the place he really didn't want to go to. He went to Nineveh. Now, when he got to Nineveh, it was such a large city, it took three whole days to see it all. To walk around the city took him three whole days. And on the first day as he entered the city, he got partway into the city, and then he began to to preach. He began to speak very loudly and telling the people, his sermon was really short, 40 days, and this city will be destroyed. He walked through the city, just telling everybody, yelling it out to the crowds. 40 days, and this city will be destroyed. And the strangest thing happened. The people believed God. I didn't say that they believed Jonah. I said they believed God. And in fact, they, they believed it so much that the Bible says, from the greatest of them to the least of them, they turned in repentance. From the greatest of them to the least of them, they decided to go without food and without water. They were fasting and they were praying and they were wearing sackcloth and they were sitting on ashes. They were covering themselves with ashes to, to show their sorrow. In fact, this spread throughout the city so much that when the king heard about it, the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he literally stepped off his throne, took off his royal robes, and he put on sackcloth and ashes, and he sat there in repentance, crying out to God. And then he did even more than that. He issued a decree. The king king was so convinced of what Jonah was saying and what God was saying, he issued a decree throughout the city that no one, not even the animals, could eat or drink anything in this period of fasting. And that everyone had to wear sackcloth and pray to God earnestly to God. And that everyone had to stop from their evil ways and had to stop from all the violence that they were doing and just cry out to God, hoping that maybe, who knows, who knows, He might turn His anger away from us. If we as a people, as we as a city, can just turn our hearts to God and cry out for His mercy. Maybe, maybe He'll turn His anger from us. And when God saw what they did. God relented. God did not send the judgment that He had threatened to send them. It was an amazing revival in the most pagan city you can ever imagine. Now, that's the story. Now I want us to read the story. And as I read the story, I want you to see, did I change anything? Did I leave anything out? Let's just read it. It's a short story, so it won't take us long. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim uh, proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A a visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne 
took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from His fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction He had threatened. Now this is where I want your participation. I'm going to ask you three questions and and just... You just throw out your responses. Uh, as I told you the story, and as we read the story, was there something new, even if it's a small thing, was there something new that you learned tonight? Something like, oh, I, I never noticed that before. Yeah, the, t- the king declared that even the animals couldn't eat or drink. What else did you learn? People believed God. It doesn't say that they believed Jonah. And we'll talk about why that might be in a moment. But it doesn't say, and they believed what the preacher said, or they believed what the prophet Jonah said. It says they believed God. Very interesting. All right, what else? Is that all? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just turn around like that. And it was no false repentance because when God saw what they did, God relented. So God knew that their repentance was genuine. Anything else you learned? Something just caught your attention? All right, we're going to talk about that. That God's mind can be changed, apparently. We'll talk about that near the end. What else did you learn? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. You They obeyed the king. They, they, the whole city did. Anything else? I, there's one more that uh, I, I think Mike kind of touched on it, but there's one other thing that just, it's like, man, I never noticed that. You didn't realize what? Where'd they get all that sackcloth? I don't know. Here's, what I, here's the thing I noticed. They even made the animals wear it. Can you imagine trying to put that on a big old bull or something? <laughs> you need to wear this. I mean, really, you need to wear this. Keep that on. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's what you, some things that you learned. All right, let me, so number two question is this. What did you learn about God in this story? As we've read it, and I told you the story, uh, what did you learn about God? He provides second chances. That's good. That's really the thrust of the whole book. What else did you learn about God? Pretty persistent when He wants you to do something. Doesn't, doesn't give up very easily, does He? Extremely merciful. It, it, when you're talking about the book of Jonah, He's extremely, and we'll talk about this at the very end, but let me jump there. He's extremely merciful to the prophet as well as to the people. Neither one of them deserved what they got from God. 
Merciful to Jonah, gave him a second chance. Merciful to the people, gave them a second chance. Yes, Mac. God is sovereign, isn't he? God's will is going to be done. All-knowing. Very good. All right, third question is this. What do you think the people of Nineveh felt? Just if you had to put yourself in their shoes throughout the whole story, what do you think they felt? I can't hear you. Fear. I, I, I think that would be a, a legitimate thing. They felt real fear. What, what else? All right, she says they saw what happened to Jonah. Something about Jonah made them take seriously, really, I guess what you're saying, take seriously what he was saying. And we're going to talk about that in a second. You got some good insights. How, how did they feel? Anybody else? Fear? What? Repentful? They had true repentance because God forgave them. That's right. What about after it was all over? When you get to the verse 10, and it says God relented because the people repented, how did they feel at that moment? Re- yeah, relieved with the capital R, right? Capital letters, relieved. Okay? All right? Very good. Now, here's what I want to do. You've got your paper now. Let, let's look at what we've done so far. I've told you the story. We've read the story. Now what we're going to do is make observations about the story. And I would encourage you, whenever you're dealing with a scripture like this, just to try to read the text and, and write down as many observations as you can. That's one of the ways you'll, you'll mine the gold out of a text. So what I did, I just sat down the other night and I made, initially I made 20 observations and then I reduced it down to what, about 17 I believe? So we're just going to... I gave you my observations, and I'm going to ask you to kind of work your way through them with me. We'll just go verse by verse, making some observations, and then towards the end, try to bring some things together. And I just noticed, I don't have a watch. I have no idea what time it is. Do you have your watch, honey? I I don't know. I got five minutes. (laughs) Put some money in this, wouldn't you? All right, some 17 observations. You say 17, we're going to be here all day. No, we're not. These, some of these are very, very short. Number one, general observation. In your Bible, what is the title on the chapter? If your Bible has a title, some of them don't, but lots of them do. What kind of title did they give to chapter 3? Jonah fulfilled his mission. Who has a different one? Nineveh repents. Jonah preaches. Jonah goes to Nineveh, the greatest revival in history. Yes, sir. So you got a whole outline there. I'm talking about just the top of the chapter, not how to break it down. Top of the chapter. The unlimited mercy of God. So yours has more than that? It has several things? What does it say it again? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's kind of broken it down. And then what was yours again? The unlimited mercy of God. Back here. Jonah's second commission. All right. 
Those are all good. Just general observation, just trying to understand the chapter. Number two is this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. When was the first time? Chapter 1, verse 1. Where was Jonah in chapter 1, verse 1? At home, wherever home is. And there's some debate about where home is, what exact city he was in. But at home, and God, here's how it starts. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So as I'm making my observations, I'm saying, okay, well, what was the first time? I knew what the first time was, but I wanted to go back and rehearse it. Chapter 1, verse 1 is the first time. God patiently then gives Jonah a second chance. How many would say amen to this? God's patience is a wonderful thing. But listen to this. You also need to realize you never know how long God's patience will last. Do you remember when you were a child, and maybe this didn't happen to you, maybe you were perfect, I don't know, but do you remember when you were a child, and a lot of you, when you were a, a child, it was safe to be outside playing in the neighborhood. You remember that? You'd be out all day playing, right? Parents didn't even know where you were some of the time, you know? And, and so I'd be out in, in my neighborhood, and at the end of the day, I'd hear my mom usually come to the, to the door there. I can still picture it in my mind on the back porch, and she starts hollering my name. Keith, time to come in. Keith, time to come in. Supper's ready. Come on, time to come in. Now, I'm two or three yards away, but I'm playing and acting like I don't hear her. How, do you, how did I know when it was really time to come in? Well, no, Dad, no. Dad wasn't home. It was just Mom. Huh? There you go. Thomas, Keith, shorter, get in this house. <laughs> then I knew my mom meant business. Do you know what Jonah learned when he lay on the beach with fish vomit all over him? His middle name. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> God used his middle name. <laughs> Jonah fish vomit. <laughs> Get up and go to Nineveh. He learned that God's not playing a game. He learned that God means business. So when God spoke a second time, get this, when God spoke a second time, Jonah was wise enough not to try God's patience this time. George Morrison said years ago, he said, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. You're not always going to get it perfect. Not always going to do the right thing. But the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. When we fall, the enemy wants us to believe that our ministry has ended. There's no hope of recovery. But our God, thankfully, is often a God of second chances. Sometimes we have to bear the consequences of our first decision. But he's also a God of second chances. Observation number three is this, verse, based on verse two, was the word of the Lord, was the word from the Lord the same as in chapter one? Look what it says. It says in chapter three, verse two, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Now, is that the same thing that God said to him in chapter one? Research it real quick. What was the difference? In chapter one, what did God say to him? He says in chapter 1, verse 2, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Alright, so God says, here's what you, you just go over and you preach against those people. Alright? Their wickedness come up to me, you go preach against it. But in chapter 3, 
when God gives Jonah the second chance, what does he tell him this time? Yeah. Tell me what that says to you. Just observation, no right or wrong answer. When God said this, this time, he said, now, I want you to go to Nineveh like I told you last time, except this time I want you to preach the message that I'm going to give you. Maybe so. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Jonah's laying in fish vomit saying, what have I got to say? What have I got to say about obeying God? How, how do I have anything to preach? I mean, I've failed Him. I've disobeyed Him. I've run from Him. How am I going to go say anything? And God says, you go say what I tell you to say. All right? Now, observation number four. Look at chapter 2 of Jonah, verse 10. We're going to go back to the second chapter for a moment. Chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, this is an interesting question, and we don't have a definitive answer, but it's an interesting question. It just tells us, Scripture just says that the fish vomited Jonah onto dry dry land. My question is, where was he? Where did he get spit out at? No, I can tell you for sure it was not close to Nineveh. And here's, here, in fact, can we put the map up there? All right, let me get my glasses. Where did I put my glasses? All right, let me show you. Do you see the, the letter A? Right, kind of in the middle. Huh? Some say, are you saying no or yes? Yes. All right, the letter A, that's where Joppa is. That's the area of Israel. And the letter A right there is Joppa, where he got on the boat, and he went west towards Tarshish, and we believe Tarshish was somewhere in Spain. It was about 1,200 miles away from where he was. About 1,200 miles from Joppa. Now, where's Nineveh? Nineveh, if you go from A up to the right, you'll see B, and that's Nineveh in the country of what we would call Syria. It doesn't look like it on the map, but from Joppa to Tarshish, it was about 1,200 miles. And from Joppa to Nineveh, it was about 500, 550 miles. So, Jonah is in this water somewhere between A and C. So, if the fish spit him out, vomited him on dry land, it was nowhere near Nineveh. Do you see that on the map? There's no way it was near Nineveh. So, my question was, so where was he? Now, there's no definitive answer, but I'm going to give you my best guess. I think that it's very reasonable to assume that Jonah was right back where he started, somewhere near Joppa. Imagine how stunned he must have been first to realize that he was alive when the fish spit him out, and all of a sudden he kind of comes to his senses, and he's laying there, and he realizes he's alive. And then to realize next, to recognize this shore looks familiar. This sure looks a lot like Joppa. And then to hear that familiar voice of God saying a second time, go to the city of Nineveh, where I told you to go. That's just conjecture on my part. I want you to make sure you understand that. But somewhere up there, God put him out on dry land. To me, it would just make sense to kind of take him back where he started running. But that's just conjecture. 
But when it, wherever he spit him out, he's on dry land, and now he says, now go to Nineveh. Now, the reason I wanted you to see that map was for that reason, but for another reason as well. Wherever he was, let's say that he was spit out at Joppa. That means that he still has a good 500 miles to get to the spot he's supposed to go to. 500 miles stood between him and his current location, between his current location and his mission field. He had some hard work in front of him. He had to still be determined to get to where God told him to go. It'd be interesting. See, that's one of the reasons we need to study with the map. Because it's kind of sometimes when you read the story, you think, well, yeah, the fish spit him out right there on the, outside, out on the outskirts of Nineveh. No, the fish didn't spit him out at the outskirts of Nineveh. Because when you read the story, it almost seems that way. It's like, okay, he got up and he walked into Nineveh and started preaching. No, he walked about 500 miles at least to get to where God told him to go. Why is that so important? Here's why it's important. Because when God gives you a second chance, it might be, listen, listen, some of you need this. When God gives you a second chance, what he tells you to do might still be hard to do, but you better be sure you keep working towards it. Don't you give up. Don't you stop. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep going the direction God tells you to go. That's what second chances are for. Amen? Observation number five. Verse three. It simply says this. This is just an observation that I made. It says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. When I read that, I thought, think of what he would have avoided if he had done that the first time. If he just obeyed the voice of the Lord and went to Nineveh. We need to learn, ladies and gentlemen, that the stakes are too high to linger too long in disobedience. Uh, God was in the business of trying to reach the Ninevites. He was inviting Jonah to be a part of that. And uh, if he had just done what God had told him to do the first time. Could, hey, listen, listen, listen. You don't have to tell me your bad story, but for a lot of you, wouldn't it be better if you just done what God told you to do the first time? Observation number six, based on verse 3b, says Nineveh was a, was an, a, a blank city. What does it say there? Nineveh was what? Now, Nineveh was a very important city, or a very great city, depending on what translation you use. Uh, and it says that it's a three days walk. What does that mean, it was a three days walk? What, 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 what does that tell you about Nineveh? It's large. Three, I take it in this regard that it probably meant that it took three days to get from one side to the other. That's how big the metropolis was. Some people, some scholars say that there was actually two or three cities together. It was kind of like a metropolis. But uh, regardless, it was a big area that he was covering. Observation number 7, verse 4. What was Jonah's message that he preached? What was, in verse 4, what was his message? Exactly. How's it worded? What was his message? Hmm. Let, me, let me give you a Hebrew lesson. When you read this in the Hebrew Bible, his message was five words. Five words. Remember what God said to him in chapter 3, verse 2. What did God say to him in chapter 3, verse 2? What did he say to him? Yeah, I want you to go 
proclaim the message that I give you. Hey, five words, you can put that on a sticky note. Right? I mean, this is not a big message. This is not a a Billy Graham 45-minute message that Jonah was preaching. He preached five words, and the entire city repented. It was probably the greatest revival in all of history. At least 120,000 people lived there. Some say as many as 600,000 people lived there. And the Bible says the entire city, from the least to the greatest, from the peasant to the king, the entire city repented when Jonah preached five words. And here's the difference. There is a difference between our words and God's words. There's a difference between having words to say and God speaking. How do you know they sensed it was God speaking? Here's how I know. Listen, everybody look at me. Look at me. Here's how I know. They knew it was God speaking because it says they believed God. They believed God. He spoke five Hebrew words, and they knew it was God. Now, that brings us to a very interesting thing in verse 5, which is probably the key verse in, the, in one of the key verses in this text. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least, and put on sackcloth. And I had to ask my, myself the question, well, why did they believe God? Why did they sense that this guy that walked into their town and started yelling, what was it about him that made them say, that's God? I've got two things to put on your notes there. Two things that I believe that influenced the people's decision and the response. One was, and somebody alluded to this, I think it might have been Becky, somebody alluded to this. I believe one of the things that possibly grabbed their attention was his appearance. Some scholars say that it is very likely that his hair, his clothes, and his skin were bleached because he was in the belly of that fish for three days, and the gastric juices in the belly of that fish likely bleached his skin and his hair and his clothes. And so you're in this city, and this guy comes into your city, and he looks kind of white all over. And he starts yelling this message from God, in 40 days, this place is going to be destroyed. There was something, I believe, about his appearance and then about his message. It was so clear, that was the second blank, his appearance and his message. It was so clear, it was so anointed. It was God's anointing on him. So his appearance and his anointed message led the entire city, uh, perhaps, to repent. Now, put your finger in Jonah, and I want you to go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus once referred to this very story. He used this as an illustration in one of his sermons, believe it or not. Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. Let's start in verse 39 and we'll get the context. He answered, Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign. None will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now verse 41, look at this. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. 
So Jesus used this as a sermon illustration. So it's not that the people of Nineveh acted like they were turning back to God, but really didn't. They genuinely repented. When that man walked in and he was bleached white, my, my theory, he was bleached white and he definitely had the anointing of God on him, preaching five Hebrew words and the entire city repented to such a degree that even Jesus himself referred to it in one of his messages. Observation number nine, based on verse six. Well, I've got to go back to Jonah. Let me turn back there. Go to Matthew and turn left. All right. Um, look at verse 6, what it says. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. It really illustrates the reality of verse 5, just the power of God's message through Jonah, that the king himself stepped down off of his throne. The king literally took off his royal robes. He put on the sackcloth. He sat in the dust or the ashes. Uh, it's an amazing thing. Then in number 10, based on verses 5 and 6, everyone put on sackcloth and ashes. Do you know why? Why, why Dave, where did they get it all, you ask, but why did they even put it on to begin with? It's a symbol of sorrow. It's a, what? a symbol of sorrow. It, it, it's, it's a customary way of humbling yourself in genuine repentance. A symbol of your sorrow for your sin. Go to 1 Kings 21, 27. Over to the left. 1 Kings 21, 27. First Kings 21, 27 says, When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. And he lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. You'll see the same thing if you want to write down the reference in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1. We're not going to read that one. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1. A customary sign of humbling yourself in genuine sorrow and genuine repentance. Observation number 11, based on Jonah chapter 3, verse 7. The king issued a decree that was a, a bit unusual. And it says, Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Why? I, I can understand issuing a decree that says, Okay, everybody going to fast. We're going to get serious with God. But he said to them, Don't even let your animals eat or drink. What does that say to you about the heart of the king? Very fearful. Very fearful. Very genuine in, in his desire to have his people turn back and repent. Uh, both men and beast were, verse 8, both men and beasts were to be covered in sackcloth. And, and I, I believe the inclusion of animals was highly unusual in that day. I'm not sure that, that you'll find it anywhere else in Scripture. Uh, but it showed the urgency with which the Ninevites sensed the need to repent. Observation number 13. What was each man supposed to, re, uh, supposed to turn from in verse 8? Huh? Give up what? Their evil ways and, and violence. They were known as some of the most wicked people on the face of the earth. And I, I could 
tell you some things about what they did. I did a little research, some of the things that they did. And they, they, were, they were merciless. They, they, they would cut people's heads off and impel them on stakes. And, and they would play games with people's heads and just all kinds of things. They, they were evil, evil, wicked, wicked people. And the king knew it. The king told them that, you know, you've got to turn from your evil ways, your wicked ways. Observation number 14 on verse 9. What was their motivation? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from His fierce anger so that we will not perish. That brings us to observation number 15 based on verse 10. Again, one of the key verses in this chapter. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction He had threatened. When God saw their deeds, put this on your notes, God saw their deeds, they had repented, God relented. Put that word in there. It's an important word. God saw their deeds, they had repented, God relented, and He did not send the calamity which He declared He would send. Which brought me to observation 16. What does it mean that God relented? And some of your older translations, I think the King James may say that God repented. Does it say that in the King James, God repented? I think some of them say God repented. A more accurate translation would be to say God relented. And I want to show you what that means. Go to the book of Jeremiah. This is is kind of fascinating and scary at the same time, what I'm about to show you. Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7 through 10. Well, let's start, let's start in, in verse uh, 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I... Can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now listen very carefully to the next three verses. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent. And what does that mean? And not inflict upon it the disaster I had planned. That's what the word relent means. It doesn't mean that he repented like he repented of his sins. It means that he decided not to do what he said he was going to do towards them. But look at the next one. This is the scary part. Verse 9. If at another time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. I think this is on your notes. If not, you might want to write it in. God changes His course of action based upon our change of heart. God changes His course of action based upon our change of heart. If I'm understanding Jeremiah correctly, God said, if I declare destruction on a nation, yet I see that nation change their heart, change their course of action, or or change their opinion and repent, 
if they have a change of heart, I'll change my course of action and I may not send calamity on them. Or the other side of the coin is this, if I have blessings in store for this people, if I have planned some blessings for that person, for that family, for that church, for that nation, and I have blessings in store for them, but if they start refusing to obey me, if their heart turns away from me, then I will change my course of action that I had planned for them, and they will miss the blessings I had intended to give to them. That's a scary thought. I'm not so much worried about, though I'm not perfect at obeying God, I'm not so much worried about getting so far out there that God says, okay, if you come back, I might relent and not kill you. But I'm very concerned about me being out there and not taking God seriously enough. And he says, okay, but there's a whole lot of blessings you're going to miss now. Which brings me to observation number 17. The chapter begins and ends with God extending undeserved grace to guilty people. It, it, it begins undeserved grace to Jonah the prophet laying into the fish's vomit. And God said, get up. We'll give you a second chance and go preach the message I give you. Undeserved grace to a rebellious prophet. And then the chapter ends by God relenting from sending calamity, calamity to a people who deserved it. They deserved to be wiped out. They deserved His judgment. But He turned from that because they turned to Him. Undeserved grace to guilty people. So here's how I want to close the session tonight. You don't, need, don't put anything away yet because you've still got one thing to do. Let's review what we've done so far. We've, I've told you the story. We've read the story. We've made observations about the story. The last thing I want to do with that story is this. I want you to figure out what God wants you to do with it. I want you to figure out how you can apply something from this story in your life. So here's what I'd ask you to do. I want you to sit there. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. That's not very long. But maybe it'll just begin to get the wheels turning. Choose a verse or a phrase that stood out to you. And based upon that observation, what application can you make for your life? 60 seconds, go ahead. Lisa doesn't have a second hand on her watch, so I don't know if that was 60 seconds or not. Does anybody have an, have an application you could share with us? It's like, this, this is what God spoke to me, and this is what I plan to do it with it this week. And if, if not, that's fine. It might be something very personal. But does anybody have... I'm going to give you mine. But before I give you mine, I want to see if you've got any that you'd share. Personal application based on a verse or a phrase that you read tonight. Right. 
Yeah. All right. Amen. We all need a good second chance. Somebody else? Yes. Back there. That's right. That's right. That's good. Let me have one more. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Can't live on yesterday's faith or yesterday's obedience. I had one more. Where where was it? I heard somebody. Uh huh. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, that's a good one. Was there another one over here? Yeah. Right. We've got some good things to share, don't we? I'm going to give you mine, and then we're going to close. Uh, it's okay if I let you out five minutes early, I assume. Right, Dave? Is it okay with you? <laughs> All right. Here was mine. Here's mine. Um, in chapter 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion on them. I was just meditating on that. When God saw what they did. And then I, I was... I went back and I read Jeremiah 18 again where God says, you know, if I see you doing the right thing, you know, and uh, then I'll turn from what I, the bad thing I was going to do. Or if I see you doing the bad thing, I'm, I'm going to turn away from the good thing I was going to do for you. And here's what I wrote down as my application. I said, based on verse 10 where it says that God saw what they did, my application was this. I want to give God something good to look at. This week... Here's what I wrote down exactly. This week, my goal is to live with the awareness that God is watching me. I want to live with the awareness over the next seven days. God's watching me. And I want to give God something good to look at. Amen? Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for your word, for your people. Thank you, God, that uh, you are indeed the God of second chances. Uh, chances that we don't deserve. It's undeserved mercy, undeserved grace. But you continually, whether it's the single individual, Jonah, or an entire city, you are continually reaching out your loving arms to people and doing it again right here tonight. And I pray that if there's anybody that needs to turn back to you, that they'd recognize that your arms are open. And your love is wide. And we thank you and praise you for who you are in Jesus' name.
Amen.